some people refuse to have the awkward conversation. They refuse to say, you know, this relationship is not right. They refuse to leave their job because they're so invested in it. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of education plus an MBA plus another MBA plus stature in the field. I can't possibly, what would I be doing? And these resistances to the instruction of the body through Chiang Mai that make people sick. And that's where we get to the mind. It's only the mind that's saying, don't do that. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Acupuncture doesn't heal like biomedicine. It's not a magic bullet synthesized to kill the source of suffering. It's more like how sunlight coming out after a week of cold drizzle will elevate your mood in a way that no pharmaceutical could come close to matching. Acupuncture calls on the resonance of moonlight, the ocean tides, the way that tree branches are reflected in leaf patterns and how those mimic the structure of your lungs. The way rivers match the winding course of your veins, it creates flow in the same way that unfettered emotion like Waves rolling onto the shore bring their own resolution. Acupuncture slips into the entangled interconnected spaces in the same way that the roots of a forest intertwine and share nutrient. It nourishes like a cool veil of sunrise mist that rises out of a meadow valley at the beginning of an early August day. Acupuncture may or may not take away your pain, but it can help you to live into a more friendly relationship with it. When practiced well, acupuncture doesn't take the batteries out of your internal smoke alarm, but rather allows you more acute ears to the early warning signals that can help you to avoid the troubles that otherwise sign you up for a lifetime of prescription medication. It doesn't put you to sleep, but rather eases the heart and mind so you can enter into your body's natural rhythm of rest and rejuvenation. And it helps you to find resources in places you previously did not expect or thought were off limits. It can be confusing to have symptoms suddenly evaporate or get a lightning bolt insight into the causes and conditions of your suffering. Sometimes our deepest healing has nothing to do with cure. Acupuncture is indeed curious stuff, and at least in my experience, the longer I practice it, the stranger and more interesting it becomes. I'm not going to go into a long or even short explanation for why that's so, just have noticed how it is, and at the rate things are going, I'm likely to have more questions about the medicine we practice at the end of my career than I did at the beginning. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Anne Cecil Sturman on mind, intention, fate, and destiny. And while you're buckling up and adjusting your seatbelts for this one, I've got a few messages from the folks that make it possible for you to enjoy these podcast conversations. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment 
And the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Anne has been on Geological a couple of other times. Over in episode number 252, where we discussed her views on acupuncture, and episode 274, where she was on a panel where we explored Wei Qi from the perspectives of an acupuncturist, an herbalist, and a Qigong practitioner. It was in that discussion on Wei Qi that I heard her say, all intention is heart-centered unless interfered with by the mind. Well, that got my attention, and it is the jumping-off point 
for today's conversation. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Lapwing. And in today's talk shop, I'm going to share with you some information about BPH. I have been a specialist in men's health or andrology for over a decade, and I'm super excited to be here with Michael Max giving you guys some pro tips. So what is BPH? BPH is benign prostatic hyperplasia. It's a non-malignant increase in the growth of the prostate organ. And while it is normal for the prostate gland to grow, throughout a man's life, he can experience complications if it begins to impede or even block the flow of urine. This is a very real condition that you are highly likely to see in your clinic, especially if you're treating older gentlemen. And it can be really uncomfortable and disruptive in a man's life. I want to make note here, just as we start to dive into our understanding of BPH, that this increase in growth of the prostate organ is prostate tissue. It's not a swelling of the prostate, which I think is kind of our perception about that. And as we're looking into the TCM components of this, we may automatically think damp. But damp's not always the case because it's an increase in the growth. What is one of the causes or the reasons uh, behind this growth? It is believed to be caused by the stimulation of dehydrotestosterone, big hormone, and it is present in the male body from puberty through life. It is produced in the prostate from testosterone through the mediation of the enzyme 5-alpha reductase. Hormones are causing this as a man ages. And this steadily increases as the presence of these prostatic proliferative estradiol hormones also increase with age. So what does that mean? The size of the prostate's growing as gentlemen age, and it's causing urinary issues. If you heard my talk a few months back with Michael Max, we did touch on BPH because it's a very disruptive condition but it's also a very treatable condition. Let's jump into some biomed symptoms since we've already discussed one of the main causes of BPH. Some of the symptoms you may be seeing your patients present with in the treatment room are frequent or urgent need to urinate and increased frequency of urination at night or nocturia, difficulty starting urination, weak stream, or a stream that stops and starts, dribbling at the end of urination, and the inability to completely empty 
completely void the full bladder. I see these symptoms a lot in my clinic and they do affect a person's quality of life. And there's a lot we can do for it. That's the great news. You may also be on the lookout for some less common signs and symptoms, which can include urinary tract infection, inability to urinate, or blood in the urine. If we're bordering on some of those symptoms, we definitely want our patient to see their doctor, especially if we're seeing that inability to urinate. We're in an emergency state, so make sure your patient understands that. And if you're not seeing that in front of you, but your patient mentioned this has been an issue before, I highly recommend you suggest they see a urologist, if not at least their GP. Another important thing to note about BPH, the prostate, is that the actual size of the prostate is not necessarily equal to the severity of symptoms experienced. So anybody can have these symptoms based on whether their doctor has told them they have a big prostate or a small prostate. They can still have some of these discomforts that are very treatable with Chinese medicine. Before we jump into that, which is always the juicy bit for us TCM practitioners, let's talk about a few other common causes that you may be seeing some of these BPH-related, urinary-related symptoms stemming from. A common one I have seen and successfully treated is inflammation of the prostate, a narrowing of the urethra or a urethral stricture, scarring in the bladder neck as a result of previous surgery, bladder or kidney stones, problems with the nerves that control the bladder, or cancer of the prostate or bladder. Again, when we see some of those more severe issues, we want to make sure our patient is seeing a Western medical practitioner in addition to us so things don't get too serious and out of anyone's control and become life-threatening. All these different things we can treat with TCM, prostatitis, narrowing of the urethra, and of course, we all know we can do wonders for scar tissue and stones. Another reason we may see symptoms related to BPH or symptoms if a patient is already experiencing BPH symptoms, they may worsen with certain medications such as over-the-counter decongestants, antidepressants, antipsychotics, and or antispasmodics. While we can have an honest discussion with our patients about what the possibility of getting off some of these offending medications may be, you should know it's not the best practice to say, hey, get off this stuff. That's a conversation you want to have with your patient and the rest of their care team, including their doctors. Another component to that is your patient is on medications that they can't readily get off of, you can discuss many different lifestyle changes, diet, exercise, various things that really can help give them some relief. As a specialist in andrology, I have been educating other acupuncturists and nurse practitioners on the subject of men's health for the last few years now. And there are so many different things we can do to treat these issues. And BPH, in my experience, has responded very well to what acupuncture, herbology, and lifestyle shifts can do. That being said, let's jump into some of the juicy bits about um, TCM. So 
common differentials I see with BPH, kidney yang deficiency, kidney yin deficiency, qi and blood stasis, lung heat with qi deficiency, lower jiao damp heat, and spleen qi deficiency. Some of these differentials, as you can tell, may be a little more organic or related to aging. And some of them, like qi and blood stasis, can be related to injury or, which I have seen a lot, a result of a botched prostate surgery. Biomedical has a wide range of medications to prescribe for BPH. And that's often the first route a patient's doctor is going to go. The second route is usually surgery. And a lot of these surgeries are very damaging to the prostate and urethra, where they're getting in there, stretching tissue, sometimes cutting tissue away, stretching things, tucking things. And it often causes so many more problems than the BPH was when that patient first walked in the door. So that's a lot of where I'll see chi and blood stasis is post-prostate surgery or injury. Kidney yang and kidney yin deficiency. It can be either or. Let's talk about some of my favorite points within those two differentials. If we're seeing some kidney yang deficiency, we're looking for a little more inhibited frequent urination at night, the fits and starts of urination. And for that, I love a good bladder 23, REN3, all the things that can attend to the bladder and the kidneys. Yin deficiency, we're going to see a little more of that frequent but scanty urine, and there's going to be a constant sensation to urinate. Great points for this that attend to yin, kidney 6, kidney 3, and again, bladder 23. Always a winner, you guys. Qi and blood stagnation. This can be stubborn, especially when it comes to that prostate, because it's really a walled-in organ. And I have found when we're treating more of these organic issues, they respond a little more quickly than qi and blood stagnation do. That's not to say they won't respond wonderfully, I've just found it takes a little more time. Here, there might be more difficulty voiding where there's more just drips rather than a clear, thin stream of urination. So we want to unblock those channels. We move that chi and blood. Spleen 10 is a great point for cooling the blood, removing stasis. The same with large intestine 4. That jumps us over to lung heat with chi stagnation. With our lung heat and qi stagnation, there may be a little more dripping, a thin stream, or dull pain and distension fullness of that lower abdomen area paired with panting or coughing and chest depression. So we want to work our lung organ here. Lung 7 is an empirical point for blood in the urine, so take that little nugget with you or urine retention due to failure of the kidneys to grasp the chi. What a great point to use in this condition. We're also going to want to clear some of that heat. Large intestine 11 is a fabulous point for that. As we jump down to lower 
Jow damp heat. We're looking for inconsistent flow, maybe burning hot urine, or it's rough and painful. And we'll see some of those damp signs in the pulse and on the tongue. Want drain damp, spleen nine, lovely, beautiful choice. Stomach 40, another great point for damp phlegm. And if we want to pull a little heat out of that liver channel, liver two is an excellent point to do the trick. And we'll finish up with spleen chi deficiency. We're going to see those spleen chi deficiency signs, sagging lower abdomen, maybe the desire to urinate, but the inability to do so, scanty amount, lassitude of spirit, they have a low appetite. So here we go. Let's boost some spleen chi, stomach 36, spleen 6, get that middle jaw rocking and rolling. So these are the most common differentials I see. That's not to say you're going to see something else in the clinic or an overlying factor such as hypertension or something else you may need to tend to before you can really hone in on this BPH. Within my courses that I teach, we always look at some base points that can handle most andrological issues, BPH, ED, PE, low T, all these buzzwords we're hearing on late night commercials, right? Acupuncture works great for this stuff, you guys. And I really love teaching this information because it works. You guys will be able to get out there and use these points I mentioned in your clinic with these patients tomorrow. And that's what this shop talk is all about. And I'm so excited to be here and offer this information to you. So you guys can find me out there on the interwebbings at www.whole-healthacupuncture.com or you can reach out to me at lisa.whacupuncture at gmail.com. I've taught some courses through Fasoma. I have some bigger, more exciting, juicy things in the works, and you can connect with me anytime. If you want to just check in about a patient, if you want to chat my ear off about something, or literally just talk shop. I have a lot to say about andrology. I have so much more to say and teach you about BPH itself. What I want you guys to go home with today is knowing that you can have a great effect on men with BPH, even starting with using those handful of points I introduced you to today. Reach out to me anytime you want at the information given, and you can also visit the show notes of this episode for more information. I want to thank Michael Max for having me, and I hope to hear from you all out there in the ether. Ancestral Sturman, welcome back to Geological. Michael Max, thanks so much for having me again. I'm delighted to be here. Terrific. So you were on recently. We had a panel on Wei Chi. Yes. And you were the acupuncturist. We had an acupuncturist, an herbalist, and a Qigong practitioner. Not just a Qigong practitioner. He had an incredibly beautiful spirit. I thought he was astonishing, Master Wu. I'm glad you enjoyed the whole thing then. Yeah. Today it's just us. And one of the reasons it's just us is because there's something that you said in that conversation that just rang me like a bell. 
A bell, kidney four. The great bell is a low point. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's a terrible cliche. Ring you like a bell. No, but do you get what I'm saying? That kidney four is called the great bell. Oh, the low point of the kidney. Oh, I'm making an acupuncture joke, sorry. Yes, you are, and no, I just caught it. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about law in just a little bit, so I guess the force is with us here. Mm. But back to the thing that got my attention. Actually, it was more like the ground kind of went wobbly for a second. Oh, that's good. I've had that happen a handful of times in my life. You said all intention is heart-centered unless interfered with by the mind. Oh, yes. So that's one of those things. And this happens on occasion. I hear something and I think to myself, I'm not quite sure what that means. It's going to take a little time to unpack. That's what the mind is doing. Mm. The body goes, that's right. Oh. I can't tell you why it's right. Yes. But the body goes, that's right. Yes, the body tells you. The body, as you know, is the vehicle of manifestation of the unconscious mind. And if people were to tune into their body at every moment of the day, they would know what's right and what's not. And that would change the entire course of the world. No one would be able to hurt another human being. No one would be able to act insincerely. No one would be able to do anything that's not in alignment with the expansion of humanity. How is that so? Because we're here for a purpose. Humanity is here to experience the crystalline beauty of life and to maximize the potential of human consciousness. That's why we're here. And it's the body that demonstrates to us what the direction is, what the next decision to be made is, with what they're supposed to be interested in, to whom they're supposed to move toward, that is old made manifest in the body via the subconscious mind. And I'm still inventing terms for it. I don't know quite how to. Some things you can't put in words, but the sort of crystalline truth from which we come has a, a purity to it. And in that, as we're conceived, and through the formation of Chong Mai, the penetrating vessel, so we're incarnated as the Chong Meridian forms at the point of conception. And in that strike, that strike of divine consciousness into what becomes a portion of humanity, an individual incarnated soul, automatically programmed into that human being is massive potential. And the potential is only expansive because it is only containing love and so as a person lives their life the base program which is why you're talking about I feel the truth in my body the base program plays out in the human body and that causes a drive to act in a certain way to do certain things and sometimes those things that ensure the expansion of humanity require a person to behave in a way that might look the opposite. For example, 
You might have to disagree vehemently. You might have to straighten things out. I'm a mother of two teenage children. My son's nearly 19, not a child anymore. But sometimes as a mother, you feel in your body, I have to stop this happening. And that might cause you to, to an outsider with a camera on the interaction when they don't know the history of that entire 17 years or whatever it is, that might look pretty rough. But you know that you have to tell that person that under no circumstances can that happen again, this will never happen again, you are absolutely banned from doing this and there's, there's a certain strength about it. So the impression I'm, I don't want to give is that, uh, that I think that life is all milk and honey and we should be joyous and happy all the time. That's not what the program is at all. The expansion of humanity requires each individual to hold themselves in integrity and to hold those around them in integrity. And so when you feel in your body a truth that, that something, that some action needs to be carried out, very, very often those actions are not easy. Very often they're not joyous. But you feel in your body that that's the truth. Mm-hmm. That's the way it must go. Yes, that makes sense. That that in service of integrity, in service of moving something forward, I look at my own life, there are times I come up against barriers that are there. Maybe I put them there, maybe somebody else put them there. But those barriers need to come down. Yes. They might even have been put up for a very good reason. But for a deeper integrity at some point, it's got to come down. And sometimes that's messy. Yes. Sometimes stuff gets broken. And it can be really hard on relationships as well. It can. It can destroy them too. It can destroy them. I'm thinking on a good day of like pruning trees or pruning grapevines or something, right? You're cutting away all kinds of material in service of a greater good, so to speak. That's a terrific example. And I want to just circle back for a moment. There's a lot here, so we may hang with this for a moment or two. You were talking about the Chong Channel. And I recently had a a fellow on, Japanese acupuncturist, uh, Kuboto Sensei. He's got his own particular method that he's learned and that that he practices. I won't go deeply into it other than to just put a pin in it for all you listeners that might want to check it out. And he is very, very, very keen in the Chong channel. He's like, the Chong channel, if the Chong is open, life can really evolve. If, if there's something with the Chong, it's like you can't get anything else straight until you get that working right. Right. And I would add to that, the Chong is at all times open, that at all times it is imparting its blueprint, as my teacher Jeffrey Yuen would say. There actually is no better word than blueprint. I think the blueprint for one's life is always there. And coming back to the mind, we obscure that. It's not that we obscure it because every single event is in that blueprint. And the freedom of the free will that we have is about how we are going to enjoy it, how we're going to be in it, how we're going to act in it in that blueprint as it's delivered to us, how we're going to be in every moment, how we're going to behave in every day. And knowing everything that happens is inevitable. We're on this journey. And 
The thing that we have control over is time. We can shrink time and that enables the blueprint to play out much more quickly. And I would argue that you could play through your entire blueprint in much shorter shrift than we choose to and engage in another blueprint in the same lifetime. So you see that in people who have near-death experiences or who have profound shock. And at present, I'm experiencing it in one particular patient. I've been seeing her for quite some years and she arrived, I think it's seven years now, she arrived with a fourth stage cancer diagnosis and she had three months to live. And they said at the very outset, if you're incredibly lucky, it's going to be a year. So she arrived with that diagnosis. And these are the patients that I, sounds weird to say that that I enjoy them more than others. It's not true, but I just love the opportunity of that challenge to meet a person who's been told it's too late to do chemotherapy, it's too late to do radiation, we can't do anything for you, get your affairs in order. If I could just travel the world and and inspire people to embark on treating those people, that would just be great. So she came and the reason she had cancer after talking to her seemed to me to be that the catalyst was a very profound food poisoning that she had on another continent. And then that enabled this emotional freefall where she had profound regret about not having left a bigger legacy, profound regret. And in that first encounter with her, I said to her, my teacher Jeffrey Yuen says that the most important thing at the moment of death is that you die with no regret. Mm. That's the most important thing because then you're carrying your idea of a false blueprint. You have an idea that your life was supposed to be about this and it wasn't about that. It was about that and it wasn't supposed to be like that. And this resistance to relaxing into a blueprint exits with the spirit at the point of death and then the next incarnation takes all that regret that's imprinted on the soul and that has to be worked out in the next lifetime. And here we go again. And here we go again. But the point I'm making about time is I've had these conversations, very intimate conversations with her Every other week, she travels in for her treatment, so she's unable to come more often than that. Every other week, and we talk about regret and legacy and life's purpose and accepting what is because what is what is. And just a few days ago, she sent me a text and said, Now, we held on for seven years, seven years using divergent channels. So when she got through the three months, we celebrated in the office. There we go. What they told you is untrue. Then we got past the year and we had another celebration. It's not true. Now you're in open territory. Now you're past the prognosis, the official prognosis, and I would invite you to determine your own prognosis. Mm. And she said, well, what do you think my prognosis is? I said, it's not my place to say. And she said, I want you to put a number on it. I said, okay, 15 years. There's a number. Do you like that number? There's a number. How about 15 years? That's a good number. 
<laughs> and then we were going beautifully until she had a certain treatment early in 2021, which caused her cancer markers to go through the roof. And the week after that, I took her pulses. And because I'm human, I got worried. Mm. It would be great to be a perfect practitioner and to be able to say, I was just calm and I knew it was her destiny, <laughs> you know, and I just was able to be completely detached. And I certainly find it difficult to do that. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Well, is the perfect practitioner completely detached? Are we, or are we somehow connected in a way that gives us like room to steer? Yeah, that's a complex answer because we're practitioners and there are practitioners in other forms, right? You know, I have three guides that hang out in my office and they are practitioners most definitely, but they're not human and they are able to have complete detachment. But when you're human, you have one of my meditation teachers called the human spirit mm. in addition. And the human spirit has a, um, all the human spirit wants is to experience love and care for every human body on the planet. And so it's the human spirit that if you see, and I vividly remember the first time my son, who's my eldest, I vividly remember when he first fell over. He was, I think, 19 months old, and he fell over and grazed his knee. And I was watching it in the playground, and I saw this perfectly innocent, beautiful boy, and he just, he fell over and grazed his knee, and the look on his face was like, oh, my God, this hurts, this is painful. And he had not experienced pain before. Now, the practitioner in me says, oh, well, pain is inevitable. So the practitioner says, pain is inevitable. It's part of his destiny. He's got to have this experience. There'll be a lot more pain. It makes him stronger. The experience enables him to, to learn what pain is and to be able to transcend bumps in the road, literally. But the human in me, the human spirit says, oh, my God, he's hurt. So that's the human, and so with this particular patient, so when you say what is a perfect practitioner, the perfect practitioner 
has a detachment that allows them to understand that it's destiny to encounter these obstacles and it's the human that feels it. And if you're not human in your clinic, you are not a good practitioner. You're absolutely right. Coming back to this patient, so she sent me a text a few days ago and she said, now I have leptomeningeal cancer and there is no cure for that. She didn't say to me, because every bump in the road, she said, we would joke together and she would say, so what's the treatment for that? And I would wink back to her and say, oh, we've got to go to a different divergent today or we've got to go to an 8 extra channel today. And she'd say, oh, fantastic, thank you so much, hop up on the table, have a treatment, leave and be perfectly fine. And this is a person who wouldn't travel because she wanted to stay at home, be with her husband, enjoy her time, mm-hmm. conserve her energy and ended up in the past year or so traveling extensively. Oh, this is what I want to do. I'm feeling fantastically free about it. So when she called, we're talking about time and condensing time and allowing several blueprints of the Chong to play out in one lifetime. So right now I'm in my house in Connecticut and she's not that far. Yeah, so I got in the car and I drove to her house and I went in and we had a very intense conversation and she said, you know what the weird thing is? You've been talking to me about regret for seven years and guess what? She said, I don't have any. I look out at the trees, I look out at nature, I hold my husband's hand, I feel like I'm living a completely new life and I thought to myself, oh, She's concluded that in, she, there it is, that is, she got there. And to witness that she actually got there was so beautiful. It was just indescribably beautiful. Yeah, we see our patients at times, if we're lucky, in the midst of some kind of transformation or reaching a conclusion or coming through a cycle. They're just plain luminous moments. Yes. And we catch them. I want to come back to, there's a couple things here. First is, a few moments ago, you were talking about the perfect practitioner. I think about that drive that I have. I hear so many of us talk about, well, I want to get it right. I want to be a good practitioner. And it's so hard to do. And we really beat ourselves black and blue with, well, I'm not good enough. I'm just a baby practitioner. What do I know? And I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect practitioner. That's an idea in our mind. Mm. But I think there is this. I think there is this. I think it's possible to be a skilled practitioner. Yes. And I'm shooting for that. There's another thing. I'm I'm just going to toss this out and see what you have to say. Mm. And this is just a quirk of mine. Maybe it's just the way that I get through my days. There's this idea that we're supposed to be masters, and we hear about the masters, and we we have kind of a fetish about the masters. Ooh, they really got it, and they know it, trying to be like them. and. I think about, you know, like Zhang Zhongjing and different people that really had a contribution and usually they lived through horrible times. Yes. And I think to myself, and maybe just because I'm lazier, I like comfort, but it's like, I do not want the circumstances that would call me to be a master. I'm looking to be a good, solid, skilled journeyman practitioner. If I could get through this life and do that, I think I'd be okay. Yes. 
People mistake what it is to be skilled. That's the problem. They think that acquiring knowledge will enable them to be skilled or they think that if I were a better, I know this intimately because a big um, teaching practice as well. At the moment, I'm playing over 100 videos of people applying to my mentorship, which starts on January 2nd and goes for six months. And I've asked for video applications because I want to understand how they feel they need to improve and what's missing from their knowledge. And the overwhelming majority say, I need more confidence in what I'm doing, in what I'm doing, right? I feel I don't know enough and I feel that I can't take pulses well enough and I really I don't know where to start once I've got a diagnosis, what channel system I should use. And this is really interesting because that's all head stuff. And to be a proficient practitioner is not about thinking, it's about being, it's about how you are in the room. It's about entering a state of consciousness where you can needle even two points. Or, if you want to be really challenged, no points at all and just be with the channel in the room and occupy that state of consciousness. And one of the points I'm going to make in that mentorship is that it's not about the points, it's about the channels. The channels are, they predate acupuncture. Mm. Yes. They originally, I know I've said this on your podcast, both times I've been on, I think, but just to say it again for the new listeners, the channels predate humanity. They had no points at all. They come from somewhere a very long way away. I don't presume to know where it is, but sometimes I wonder whether it's Pleiades that they come from and they emanate. They come into Earth's field and they they allow the emerge or they allowed the emergence of humanity the development of humanity, the growth and the lodging of the blueprint. And to be a proficient practitioner requires a person to choose a channel that they're going to activate in a patient and just be in the vibration of that channel. And normally you'd teach that live. You'd teach it in a live classroom and you would try to transmit it. And one of the points I'm making in this um, course is that You can be entirely remote. You could be on a different continent and be a fine practitioner to that patient if you're occupying the channel with your consciousness on that person. So, And those people can have profound healings. And my son actually, when he was three weeks old, he attended his first Jeffrey UN class. I took him everywhere while he was being breastfed for for two years. He was swaddled and attached to my body in a sling and he went to every single Jeffrey Ewing class I went to. He came along and on airplanes everywhere and I took him to the first one. It was downstairs in a windowless room in Chinatown and Jeffrey came right up to me and he'd already met, um, he met Ravi when he was three days old and he came right up and he said, aren't you worried about the noise and the fluorescent lighting? And, And I said, he's with me. I think he'll be okay. And then when Jeffrey realized I, I was not going to be swayed and I was going to sit right there on my bouncy ball, and he said, well, 
one thing that will happen is that he will get the feeling for the medicine. And he really did get the feeling for the medicine. He treats people by remote using the channels. And on the basis of that training, of his very early childhood training. Yes, so there is something acquired. Yes, there's things that we get that come through our knowledge. There's other stuff that we get through our body. There's a quote that I think about from time to time, a guy named Stephen Jenkinson. You familiar with Stephen Jenkinson by any chance? No, not yet. He used to be in what he calls the death trade. He did, oh. you know, end of life stuff. He's a very interesting writer and thoughtful person. There's a thing that he said or wrote, anyway, it sticks with me. He says, Mystery is that which your knowledge cannot eat. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's juicy. Mm. I think about that a lot because I like knowledge and I like knowing stuff. Knowledge is, it's indispensable. We must, must, must have knowledge. But then to be an acupuncturist, we hold the knowledge, the great body of knowledge, just slightly to the side mm -hmm. and go into a different state of consciousness that has nothing to do with knowledge. Well, it's like driving a car. Yes. You know, I recently teach the kid, not recently at this point, it just seems recently, it's been years now. Mm. I remember the first time I took her out for to a parking lot, she's looking across the parking lot going, my friend, I'm going to hit those people. And it's like, yeah, well, you're just <laughs> focused on what's in front of you, not, not them. <laughs> now she drives everywhere. When you first learn this foot here, this, that, you know, move your hands. Oh my God, I can't even coordinate my body to make the thing go straight. And now, of course, you can drive across the whole country and not even think about what you're doing. Yes. So lots of knowledge that becomes something else. I want to come back, though, for a moment to the Chong and the blueprint mm. and this thing that in Chinese we call Ming right? Destiny. Mm -hmm. I always get a little nervous around the terms that we have in Chinese medicine. And Ming is one of them. Because there's a lot of ways you can go with that. Yes. And, and especially, you know, we talk about Jing, we talk about Ming, we talk about Jing Qi Shen, for that matter. Tian Di Ren, Heaven, Earth Person, all that. I'm always kind of on guard that I might be putting too much of what I think on it. And like, how do I open up to or somehow get a sense of what people thousands of years ago might have been talking about, right? We're talking about a whole different kind of physiology, so to say, how a human being is put together. One of the beautiful things about the medicine that we practice is we have another view of physiology, that gives us, I'm going to say, a broader view, right? They're beginning to talk about it in conventional medicine now with the idea of the mind-body connection. Of course, saying mind-body connection already presupposes a disconnection. That's right. It's hard to talk about, right? And, and one of the beautiful things about the language of Chinese medicine, East Asian medicine, Oriental medicine, whatever the hell you want to call it this week, <laughs> we've got these idea of these channels, like you were saying. I was just hearing you talk about the channels come from somewhere else, but having some interesting conversations with Deborah Wolf about stems and branches. Mm. You know, and what you were talking about just rhymes with stems and branches. There's this stuff that comes in. We look at the world. We can look at the world through the five phases. We can look through the six chi 
as we start to really look and feel and sense and move and not know, but more like grok the senses of those things, stuff comes through. So all that being said, I'm curious to know your thoughts about destiny. There's another thing that you had said in a previous conversation about the mind defending against destiny. Mm. Right? And, and so what I've got in this moment with this time that we spent together so far, we've got the Chong Channel. It's this like open vessel that we coalesce our physical being around and something of our psychoemotive and maybe spiritual being. And there's something that comes in that enlivens that, call it spirit. You also called it blueprint. When I think of blueprint, it's almost like a roadmap. Here's where you're headed. Here's what you bring in. Here's what you got to work with. Yes. So I'd like to hear a little more about your thoughts on destiny and the Chong and the blueprint and about the issues of the mind defending against destiny. Mm, so interesting. So before we incarnate, we're in a different realm of consciousness. Sometimes I like to say we're in the ethers because it helps me picture it, but I don't think it can be pictured. So we're in a different realm of consciousness and we are a spirit who might have had dozens of lifetimes, hundreds of lifetimes, three previous lifetimes. And there's a kind of a survey that the spirit does, a survey of all possibilities. And then that spirit decides where it's going to incarnate, which two parents will enable the creation of just the right body and just the right circumstances for this spirit to reach its maximum human potential. And then the spirit identifies that situation and it goes in and it inserts itself between the sperm and the egg fuse and that that connection of sperm and eggs and egg is the chong, that line that creates like two cells pushing together. If you get two balloons and you push them together, I know that this, those cells are not shaped like balloons, but... Mm. You push them together hard, you get a perfectly, utterly perfectly straight line between those two balloons. That's Chiang Mai. And that spirit enters into that blueprint. It says, this is the existence I need to have this time around in order to expand my concept of what it is to be human and to live life. And so in it comes and that blueprint will play out at a rate that is commensurate with the openness of the mind. So I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you have too, where you've had someone come in, sit in your office, and they've got some kind of autoimmune disease, and you ask them, what is it that you're doing that you wish you weren't doing? And they will say either, my marriage has been a mess for 15 years. I've been in a job for 35 years that I should never have been in. I didn't want to be in this profession. I wanted to be in that profession. People have even told me, I married this person and every single day I wish I had married this other person that I really, truly love. So when people make those decisions that are counter to what their blueprint is dictating to them through the sensations they feel in their gut in particular, 
which is the end of the first tra- trajectory of the chong. So the first trajectory of the chong terminates at kidney 21, the dark gate. Feelings emanate at the dark gate that originate from Chiang Mai that dictate which way is the correct way to go. And at the same time, the great low of the stomach is active from the solar plexus up to the heartbeat. And that gives us the feeling of enthusiasm about what that the Chong is delivering us in terms of information of which way to go. So it takes it directly up to the heart. Yes. Directly to the emperor. Yes. So you feel, oh, I would love to do that. Oh, this person, I really want to be with this person. Oh, oh, art, yes. Yes, I must start painting now, whatever it is. And the feeling of living according to that is, it's almost surreal when you just navigate. And I'm not saying that I do that, but there are times where I've, I've been able to do that. Like the day that I met my husband in Paris, I met him at 9.15 in the morning and I was watching my solar plexus and I was feeling, oh, wow. And then my head was saying, my mind was saying, not sure he's exactly your type. I mean, he's very quiet and he's kind of reticent. And my gut was saying, no, make no mistake. This is your husband. And by (laughs) 3.45 p.m. we were engaged. Wow. It turned out he's anything but quiet. My husband can talk. He could talk all day and I'm never bored. It's always fascinating. But those things, walking into acupuncture schools in New York City, looking for the right school and walk into one school and, oh, this feels like a business school. My gut's not saying that. And then walk into the next school, I just started sneezing all the time. And then I walked into Jeffrey's school and it was, I am completely home in this shabby building. (laughs) So it's very interesting. This is how we shrink time. So the way to get the blueprint to play out in the most expedient way (laughs) is to follow that instinct all the time all the time. And that includes, this isn't right, move away from it. This person is affecting you, is infringing on something, you must act and rectify it. All these things, they're all also part of Chong. And some people refuse to have the awkward conversation. They refuse to say, this relationship is not right. They refuse to leave their job because they're so invested in it. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of education plus an MBA plus another MBA plus, you know, stature in the field. I can't possibly, what would I be doing? And these resistances to the instruction of the body through Chiang Mai that make people sick. And that's where we get to the mind. It's only the mind that's saying, don't do that, when Chiang Mai is saying, do that. And it's only the mind that, that's saying, I must do this, I must achieve this, when the Chong is saying, that is not your path. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles 
It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I had an experience when I was 50 years old. It was my 50th birthday. Oh. I was in China. I was working on translating Huang Huang's book. I had a month in China, a month to travel. It was great. I mean, it was fun being in China. It was wonderful working with Huang Huang. Life is good. I'm following what I want to do. And this is in Nanjing, which is close to Yixing. Yixing is a city famous for its teapots. And I picked up a little teapot fetish when I lived in Taiwan. Oh, that's a good one. Because I love the tea and good teapots are good, right? Yes, they are. <laughs> so on my 50th birthday, I was headed to Yixing. I get on this little crappy, dusty, dirty bus with people smoking and spitting. You know, it's China at that moment in time. And we're on the way to Yixing, and I have this horrible panic attack, oh. which is very surprising to me because I'd previously lived in China for years, and I can get around in China. And it's my 50th birthday, damn it. I'm headed to get great teapots. And I'm having a panic attack. And I'm having a panic attack because I'm 50 years old. I do not have a relationship that had ended previously. I don't have a house. I've got a crappy little car. I've not put money into a retirement account in like I don't know how long. I'm working as an acupuncturist, but I'm working hard. I'm working on this book and it's taken a lot longer than I imagined it would because translating takes a long ass time. And I'm going down the road on this crappy little bus. And I'm freaking out because all the things I thought I should have at the age of 50, I don't have any of it, none of it. And I am coming apart from the middle outward mm. <laughs> on this little bus. And it's kind of freaky because I'm like the only foreigner on there and I'm having a bad psychological moment. And something in me asks the question, well, okay, Mr. Max. In service of these things that you don't have, what would you have changed about the past 10 years to have been on a different path? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, it's a good question. And the answer came back, not a thing. Yes, no regret. And not a thing. Yeah, it was just like, whoa, not a thing. Like, really? Really, Mr. Max? Not a thing. Huh. Okay, then. Maybe my idea what you have at 50 is need some updating. And I got an update. So I'm being long-winded here, I think because I want to make a point that that unraveling that was happening in that moment, I really did feel it like at that core inner place. All these things that the mind that I had in my mind, influencing my behavior and my desires and, and the things that I was doing, what I thought was appropriate, Needed an update. 
got one too. I was lucky. You know, moments like that could go really bad as well, but this one didn't. Yeah, they can go bad. Beautiful. This one didn't. So these things happen from time to time, I suspect, as we go along our lives. And it certainly happens with our patients. I really appreciate the question that you asked about the autoimmune <laughs> patients or maybe patients with cancer, anyone who's you know, struggling with something that, that's not really them, where they thought it was. Or maybe it was at one point, and it was useful at that moment, but it's not useful in this moment. Right. I'd like to get your thoughts on when are previous solutions, which are perfect for the moment that they were in, are now the foundation of the problem that we need to move through. So I see it all the time in my clinic. The solution that was so good for this moment, and I see it in my life, such a great solution. Oh, now it's the current problem. Well, because everything has its time, and we're supposed to be fluid in time and ready to move. Just like nature, we have to read when the time is done. I love my private practice, and I've been in it over 20 years now. We put this mentorship together. I was intending to carry on the private practice, which is extremely important. And then my Chong said, you have to close it. This is just last week. You must close it. You must put all of your attention all of your intention, all of your efforts into teaching. And my mind had a conniption and it said things like, my mind said things like, um, well, what if you just stop seeing the patients that really don't need you so much anymore or need treatment at all anymore? Well, what if you just keep a small handful? And then my mind said, you've always said you cannot teach unless you're in practice. My mind said that. And then my mind said, how can you be in integrity if you hold that you must be in private practice in order to teach well? And I just sat with those questions for a long time last weekend, just really sitting very quietly. And it became clear that I'll be in much, much more powerful position in treating and helping people by practicing acupuncture in public. So now the plan is six-month mentorship program every year and then a month off and then five months going all over the world just teaching people how to put this beautiful classical practice into practice by seeing one new patient after another over and over again all over the world and demonstrating that. And then I realized it's really my human spirit not wanting to experience the disappointment of the patients as I close it. So I could sit in that for years. I could do that for years. I could struggle to teach and keep the practice going for years, not wanting to admit that, but choosing to shrink time because I'm really not getting younger either. <laughs> yes, I'm quite familiar with that not getting younger piece as well. You said Instead of doing a private practice, you're looking to practice in public. Yes. Tell me more about that. So since July, when I first ventured out to teach after the various lockdown periods, I went to London and taught a class in um, New Mexico and Australia. So, so far in the last few months, I've been on, around quite a bit. And the classes are now not about theory. 
So I figure people can just read the book, Advanced Acupuncture. They can just read that book and get all the theory. I shouldn't have to stand up and teach all that theory. What cannot be taught from a book is the feeling of the practice. Mm. So now the teaching plan is to go all over the world. And um, I'm beautifully connected because I've been going all over the world now for 10 years. But the plan is not to teach theory and just to sit with patient after patient, pull it down, diagnose, treat, and transmit the feeling of the channels to free people from the idea that they need to know more material. Because people are on this interesting trajectory where they take course after course after course and they collect techniques and and protocols and they collect the essence of so many tendrils of of the tradition of acupuncture. They collect knowledge and they're looking for the magical set of points and they're missing, completely missing what acupuncture really is, which is channels. Acupuncture is channels, it's not points. The points were added very, very late in the piece and now acupuncture is officially fused with Western medicine in modern education. It's all about the points. It's all about selecting points. So the point is there's no point. There's no point. There's only channels. Mm -hmm. This may take half a day or a month. I don't know. But for the purposes of this podcast and this conversation, which we're going to have to land in a little bit, so I probably shouldn't ask a really opening question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Can you give us a taste, a flavor, a sense of what it means or what it feels like to be in touch with a channel? Mm. Like, what would that be like? I know what I know what it's like to hold a purring cat. I know what it's like to sit with someone who's in emotional distress. I know what it's like to be in a quiet house on a on a winter day. Mm-hmm. No one else is here. Mm-hmm. Right? There's all kinds of things that I, I have a felt sense for. How would I get a felt sense for a channel? What would that be like? So we've been talking about Chiang Mai right, today. Chiang Mai originates in the lower belly, right? Around your prostate area is where Chiang Mai originates. And then it travels, and the first trajectory travels up to kidney 21, which is six soon, as you know, it's six soon superior to your navel and half an inch to one side. So if you close your eyes, I will show you what that feels like. Just feel in your body. And I'll show you. Okay, here we go. Thank you. You're welcome. So there's a number of things that happen that they're kind of personal. So I'm not, you know, in respect for that, I'm not going to uh, speak that at this moment. But I'll say this. Yes. Yeah, very personal. And I'll say this. There are moments in my life I can look back on them and connect them like stepping stones across a river. You could, Or here's another phrase. I can connect them like you'd look at a constellation and see something. That's even better. Mm. There's moments in my life and, and I can see like, you know, a constellation of how they're connected. And they're the moments when I didn't have to think something through. You were talking about this earlier with your husband. I've had moments where Something arises, I go, yep, that's where I'm doing. That's where I'm going. Oh, yeah, that's what's happening. 
and I would watch the mind go, you're doing what? What? Wait a minute. I'd be like, yeah, no, I, thanks. I don't need your help with this. This is what we're doing. Put your boots on. Let's go. You'll like it. <laughs> we're not. That knowing piece. We speak about the different organs as having a kind of character, a kind of spirit. And I've been doing some study of the Sa'am acupuncture tradition, and, and one of the ways that it's talked about in this particular tradition, I don't, I don't know about other traditions of Sa'am, but in, in this one that I've been investigating and, and following, each of the channels has a kind of spirit, a kind of personality, a kind of archetypical isness about it. Well, like the warp and woof of fabric, which is exactly how we talk about the jingle, for that matter. So there's a lot of wisdom in that metaphor. Different energies, different aspects of spirit, I think, how I would describe it. Yeah. And, and I'll just leave it at that for the moment. Right. Michael, thank you for what you're doing. You really, in a world where we're bombarded with information and we're bombarded with information that takes acupuncture away from its core and tries to turn it into something that's not not even Chinese. You're providing an, an enormously valuable service. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Thank you. Mm. I feel incredibly fortunate that I get to talk to so many different people that are engaged in the discovery of what this work is. You know, we often talk about our medicine in a very, I'm going to say, a fetishized way. It's like, oh, 2,000-year-old medicine. You know, I practice a 2,000-year-old medicine. And at this point, I, there's a part of me that goes, yeah, no, actually you don't. And we don't because, not just because we're taking it, materializing it, and westernizing it, and that sort of thing. But there's this weird thing about it, and I'm on my own cutting and growing edge with this. So, you know, we'll see what I have to say next week about it. But there's something about how it becomes alive in the moment of our life, how it becomes alive in the moment of our interaction with the people that we interact with. And it's that aliveness unfolding in the moment that gives it the juice that it has. Yes, the moment is all we have. Mm. And we can tell the stories of the great doctors and we can talk about the history of it and, you know, we can read old books and the old books can be helpful. Yeah, but how does it feel? But how does it feel and how does it arise in our experience and in the work that we do? That seems to be the crucial thing. Yes, and the way through that is to remember that it is intrinsically human. The channels are intrinsically human. They're not something over there that you learn about as some kind of interesting facet of human knowledge. They are already internalized in each individual, and they cannot be measured. Would it be fair to say that they're here before DNA shows up? Yes, most definitely. The Chung controls and creates the DNA. All right. Well, <laughs> that is a lovely and provocative idea and probably a good place just to stick a pin in it for today. <laughs> okay, Michael. Thank you again. <laughs> thanks for your services to humanity. And thanks for inviting me back. I enjoy our conversations very much. I do as well. Thanks so much, Anne. 
intention is still for me something slippery, vital, important, and like poetry attempts to grasp the essence of something by talking around that which you can't point directly towards. It's a bit mysterious for me. Not mysterious as in magical or purposefully hidden, but more like mysterious in that knowledge is incapable of fully understanding. It could be mental laziness on my part, but whenever I find myself bumping up against exploring intention, I know that I'm in for some uncertainty. How about you? Where do you stand with intention? And what part does it play in the work that you do or the practice that you have? Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.